Brothers and sisters, you may be seated. Just that you would please um, join your hearts to mine as we lift up um, prayer to our God and Father together. O Lord, our God, the Almighty, the Holy One, we come into your presence this morning with festal shouts, thanksgiving, praise for who you are and what you have accomplished for us in Christ. We thank you that we, your children, are no longer under the curse of the law, but that we are under grace. We have rest in your Son, our Lord Jesus, in what he did for us, what he earned on our behalf. Oh God, on this blessed Sabbath, this Lord's Day, we pray that you would help us to honor it, to enjoy a holy rest all this day, to worship you, to look forward to that eternal rest that you have promised all of us that we will enter into when he returns for his bride when we enter into that eternal state and this world is transformed into the kingdom of God and of your Christ, O Lord. We thank you for that hope that we possess, for that rest that we taste now, that we enjoy now, and that we know that we will have on that last day and forevermore. May that fill our minds and our hearts all throughout this day. Oh God, we thank you for this church, for the kindness, the blessings that you have showered upon the gathering for the last 11 years, for recent blessings like the purchase of this building and such other gifts. Oh God, we pray that you would work in us individually and in us corporately, that Christ would be pleased with the gathering church that we would grow and continue to love one another as Jesus has loved us, that we would not grow cold towards him, our first love. O Holy Father, that this church would endure should the Lord Jesus tarry for many more generations as a beacon of gospel light and hope in Ash County. We pray for Cornerstone Church, in Mesa, Arizona, a sister congregation. And we rejoice with them for the blessings that you have been giving them recently. Ten prospective members that are going to be going through their membership class and interviews with their elders. Holy Father, we pray that those processes would go well, that you would help the pastors as they speak um, with these men and women and that they would be able to join the membership of that congregation, that they would be gifts that Christ would give to um, that assembly of saints out west. We also ask for your kindness um, and for your blessings to be given to their um, harvest festival outreach, community outreach that they're going to be having in a couple of weeks, that that would go well that it would be an opportunity for our brothers and sisters there to talk to people in their community, to share the gospel with those who desperately need to hear it, 
in that part of Arizona, that you would give them boldness and that it would be a sweet time of fellowship for the saints in Arizona. And so we remember them this morning. But we also, Father, remember and do not forget about our brothers and sisters who are serving Christ in far less hospitable conditions than we or our brothers and sisters in Arizona are. Our hearts are drawn to the church in Afghanistan this morning who is suffering under the wicked rule of the Taliban. We pray, O oh God, that you would protect and sustain them. We ask that you would shower grace on them, that they would persevere, that they would be able to not succumb to the temptation to deny their faith when they are faced with persecution, threats of imprisonment, or even death. Oh Lord, their gatherings as they come together on the Sabbath, would you please help them to do so away from the prying eyes of those who would mean to do them harm? Would you encourage them, give them the strength, the hope in Christ to keep running the race that you have set before them that as Christ says in the book of Revelation that he would be able to give them the crown of life at the end of their journey. But we do not forget about them this morning and we pray that you would be with them. Father, here in our own nation, we lift up Senator Richard Burr, our outgoing senator, and also Senator Tom Tillis as they represent North Carolina in Washington. And we ask, oh God, that you would please work in them, direct their hearts, their minds, and their decisions such that they would only vote in favor of legislation in Congress that is just, that is righteous and pleasing to you, that they would not succumb to the winds of the cultural moment, that they would be um, firm, and Father, that you would be merciful to them and their families. None of us in here know the states of the hearts of either Senator Burr or Senator Tillis, but we ask that you would be merciful to them and to their wives and to their children. And Father, that the way that they conduct their business and execute their offices in the nation's capital would be both pleasing to you and for the good of us, your people here. Father, in Ash County, we lift up the Pregnancy Care Center to you, which you have given us the resources to be able to financially support monthly, and we are so grateful for the good work that they have been able to do in our community. We pray that you would smile upon their labors as they seek to minister to the physical needs of mothers in our region. We pray that the help that they offer would not be divorced from the gospel, that it would all be centered around Christ, that you would give them the manpower and the resources that they need to accomplish their mission of ministering to these moms and that um, through them, oh God, you would save the lives of many unborn children. We ask, oh God, for continued blessing and healing upon our dear sister, Miss Janice, 
she's getting over her bout of pneumonia, that um, you would uphold her, help her to feel better. Lord, we give you um, hearty thanksgiving and praise for the safe delivery of baby Lucy and ask that you would continue to bless her with health and vigor and you would help Leah to heal from her surgery. We thank you for that wonderful blessing that you've given the Ingersoll family as well as our church. What a wonderful gift it is for us to look at a brand new image bearer in our midst. And God, we also remember today our homeschooling parents, their families, the homeschool students. Lord, we ask that you would help student and instructor alike to be persistent and diligent in this hard work. We pray, O oh God, that the parents in our midst would be faithful to instruct their children well, that you would encourage them, equip them, that they would always point their students to Christ in whom we know are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that our students, particularly those who are looking to graduate in the next few months, that you would help them as they prepare for college or vocations, or even if they don't know what they're going to be entering into, that you would give them wisdom and discernment and peace, and that you would help them to honor Christ in all of these things that they are considering together with their parents and other mentors. And Father, that you would glorify yourselves in um, all of their lives. And finally, O oh Lord, we pray for your blessings upon um, this time now of the, the reading and the preaching of your word. Help us to receive it with thanksgiving and excitement as you speak to us from Holy Writ. Oh God, we pray for both the preacher and the congregation to worship during this portion of our service. May it be honoring to you, our great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We lift up this prayer to you, Father, by the Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. As we continue working through the first book of Moses, Genesis, we find ourselves this morning in chapter 5, verses 28 through 32. This morning, we will be concluding our time in the genealogy, this first genealogy that Moses records, and next week, we will be making the transition into what will be the beginning of the narrative of the flood. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 28, please stand as God speaks to us from his word. Genesis 5, beginning in verse 28, these are the words of God. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one 
shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These are the words of God. Church, you may be seated. Well, I am currently going through Homer's epic poem, The Iliad, in my classical conversations homeschool group. And as I have been working through it over the story over the last several weeks, um, I'm sure the story is familiar to most of you, story of Achilles, the war between the Achaeans and the Trojans. And as I was going through it, I found myself becoming a little frustrated. There's a character in the Iliad named Ajax who fights on the Achaean side of the war. And in the poem, sometimes Homer will make reference to little Ajax, and then in other passages, he'll refer to giant Ajax. I found myself getting irritated by this. Homer, I said to myself, pick one. Either he's little or he's giant, but he can't be both, right? Those are mutually exclusive terms. I thought maybe he was a little confused, but surprise, surprise, it turns out Homer wasn't the confused one. I was the confused one. I was told by someone there are actually two characters named Ajax in the Iliad. One is called giant, one is called small, to distinguish them from one another. I felt a little silly. I thought about this as I was going through this portion of Genesis, because this whole thing of having multiple people with the same name is going on here in these first few chapters. For example, there are two Enochs, one from Cain's family, one from Seth's family, and we certainly don't want to get them mixed up with each other. Last week, we looked at Seth's Enoch, the righteous man who never died. This week, we come to his grandson, Lamech, and turns out there are two Lamechs in Genesis as well. One, again, is from Cain. The other one is from Seth. One is wicked, the other is holy. We were introduced to Cain's Lamech a few weeks ago in chapter 4. Perhaps you'll recall that Cain's Lamech was the first recorded man in the Bible to have two wives. We also know that Cain's Lamech was vengeful and arrogant. In chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, he says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Lamech clearly did not turn the other cheek to his enemy. 
He was the exact opposite, actually, of the kind of man that the Lord Jesus calls us to be. Cain's Lamech, perhaps you'll remember what we talked about the last couple of weeks, belonged to the seed of the serpent. But we aren't talking about that Lamech this morning. We are talking about the other Lamech, the Lamech whom God had been gracious to, the righteous Lamech who descended from Seth. The Lamech that we are reading about today belonged to the line of promise, the seed of the woman, and he believed the promises of God. This Lamech, who we see in chapter 5, verse 25, was the son of long-lived Methuselah. And in verse 28, Moses records Lamech having his own son. It says, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. Verse 29, and called his name Noah. Now there's a familiar name. Noah is the man that this genealogy has been leading up to this whole time. And in just a few verses, we know Genesis is going to change focus, isn't it? And it's going to follow the story of him, his family, um, and the ark that they constructed for the flood. The name Noah, and this is important because we're going to be coming back to it, the name Noah sounds like the Hebrew word nuach, which means rest. And this choice of name was not an arbitrary decision on the part of Lamech. He didn't just pick it because he liked the way it sounded. Lamech named Noah, Noah, as an act of faith. Lamech named his son with an expectation of God accomplishing something great through him. Listen to what he confesses regarding the choice of name. He says, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. This is a prophetic word. Now, all of us in here, we read this and we know how God is going to use Noah, right? But how did Lamech know this? What's been speculated by some that Lamech was a prophet. Others um, suggest that this revelation was given to him by someone who was a prophet, like Enoch. But regardless of how Lamech received this revelation, what's crystal clear is that he believed this revelation. He named Noah accordingly. I believe based on this prophetic word that we can see that Lamech was a man of faith. And I also believe that based on these words that Lamech may have even hoped that his son was the promised offspring from Genesis 3.15 who would crush the head of Satan. Based on what Lamech knew at the time, Noah very well could have been that promised offspring. Consider that Lamech did not have the amount of revelation that we possess concerning the Messiah's identity. But Lamech did know that God had promised a redeemer. And Lamech is clearly expecting a reversal of the curse that had been brought about by his forefather, Adam. 
Sam Amadi and Jim Hamilton, two men of God, have spoken of it to say that Lamech expected that Noah was going to bring about circumstances and a situation in which the curse would be done away with. Paraphrasing what I once heard from Dr. Richard Barcellus, the Old Testament is full of messianic hope and messianic expectations. And now while we all know, obviously, that Noah was not that promised Messiah, Noah was a picture of that Messiah, and he was a forefather of that Messiah. Christ would descend from Noah through Shem. We'll talk about that more a little bit later as well. And as we shall see, God did indeed use Noah to bring rest and comfort and relief. Just as Lamech says here, but I don't believe that Lamech knew exactly how Noah was going to accomplish that. Now, there is a lot that we can unpack here in verse 29 a lot that we can meditate and reflect on. But first, I want to invite you to look at this beginning clause where Lamech makes reference to the ground which the Lord has cursed. No doubt your minds, and I believe this is where Lamech's mind was as well when he said these words, your minds are being drawn back to where? Chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 of Genesis. So let's turn back a couple of pages and look at that again together. In the passage, God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust and to dust, you shall return. Lamech certainly is thinking about this judgment from God when he makes this statement about the cursed ground in chapter 5, verse 29. We are reminded here that Adam's breaking covenant with God had ramifications for the entire created order. Paul teaches us in Romans 8 that the whole creation groans. The whole creation is bound to corruption. The Lord has cursed the ground, as Lamech said, but we know it wasn't an arbitrary curse inflicted by an unjust and cruel God, right? No, it was the fitting punishment for high treason against a perfectly righteous and holy God who had given man every good gift. God made the world very good. The corruption of the world is owed to man alone. God says to Adam, because of you, cursed is the ground because of you. 
God cursed the world he made in judgment for Adam arrogantly shaking his fist in God's face in his pride sinning against his creator and sustainer. John Calvin quite pithily states it, man destroyed himself. The prophet Isaiah speaks to the same reality, this reality of the curse and its consequences. Turn to Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24, beginning in verse 4, the prophet says this, The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and few men are left. The fall of man, brothers and sisters, touched everything in creation and has been said by one man, The world is not the way it is supposed to be. Adam's rebellion had cosmic consequences. Death, decay, thorns, cancer, all these resulted from the broken covenant of works. Our labors and toil in this world are fraught with drudgery and suffering because of Adam's sin. The very ground that we stand on, even the animals that we interact with, have been corrupted by the fall of our race. Now turn back to Genesis 5. Picking back up in the middle of the verse. Lamech says, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now these words, he's just reflected on the curse. These words reflect hope. These words are reflecting hope that Noah will in some way bring deliverance from the consequences of this curse to which man and the creation had been subjected. But how, it may be asked, would Noah accomplish this? How did Noah bring relief or comfort as some of your translations may render it? Well, there are three main things that we can point to. Number one, God used Noah to preserve humanity. So rather than all Adam's race perishing in the waters of judgment, God chose that through righteous Noah, his family, and the ark which they constructed, that humanity would continue on the earth. You talk about relief. In God's sovereign plan, Noah was instrumental in man not being wiped off of the face of the earth. Had the Lord not had mercy 
upon Noah and chosen him as an object of grace, all of our race would have been destroyed. So that's the first point. Number two, God used Noah to give man a fresh start after the flood. As a couple of commentators have noted, and we also know that Noah stood at the head of a covenant, right? The Noahic covenant, which God made with all mankind and with the animals after the floodwaters had receded. God promised Noah that he would never again send a flood to kill all flesh on the earth. The rainbow reminds us that the Lord is patient as he spares the lives of creatures and makes the seasons go about their normal course. Noah, as I've heard some say, almost functions as another Adam in that context of the Noahic covenant. So that's the second point. Third, and finally, God used Noah to bring us Christ. Through Noah and the covenant which God made with Noah, God ensured that the world and man would be preserved and that Jesus Christ would be able to come through Noah's line and secure the redemption of his people. Now, all these things in mind, I believe we can see that these words which Lamech spoke are quite fitting. Those words had a close fulfillment, meaning close in time to when Lamech said them, and they had a farther fulfillment. The close fulfillment was God's using Noah to preserve humanity through the ark and the covenant that followed the flood. And the far fulfillment of these words, the further one, is the comfort and the relief which would come through Noah's descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ. Noah provided relief by God using him to prepare the way for Jesus to bring us relief. The Apostle Peter calls Noah a herald of righteousness, and we can see many ways in which Noah pictures and serves as a type of Jesus. We will be seeing that much more as we go through these next several chapters in Genesis. Just for a couple, just as Hebrews speaks of Noah saving his household, Jesus saves his church, his bride, his people. Just as Noah stood at the head of a covenant, so Christ stands at the head of the new covenant. Now we're going back to rest. Noah's name meaning rest. Brothers and sisters, who is the one who brings God's people ultimate rest, both in this age and in the one to come? Our Lord Jesus, to the burdened sinner, Christ says these words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
The gospel command is not one to work and toil so you can somehow gain God's favor. It is a command to forsake sin and fly to Christ. Paul says, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This is resting in Christ. A true and lasting peace with God was purchased by Christ on Calvary's cross. I love what Keith Getty wrote in a familiar hymn. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled and strivings cease. Now, this isn't to say you don't strive for holiness, but it is to say that the soul that rests in Christ desires holiness, hungers and thirsts for righteousness, as Christ teaches us in Matthew 5. This is why the scriptures say for us to strive to enter that rest, talking about that future eternal eschatological rest, meaning that the soul that rests in Christ looks to Christ alone as the only basis of acceptance with God. And that soul that rests in Christ in that way will joyfully labor for the Lord out of that rest. If you truly possess eternal life, you will work but you don't work to earn that eternal life. Your eternal life was earned by the good works of another because of Christ's finished work. You no longer relate to your creator as your wrathful judge. You relate to your creator as your heavenly Father who delights in you, his adopted son, who delights in you, his adopted daughter, and who you delight to please. This is the rest that Christ provides his people, that you are not under the curse of the law anymore, beloved. You are not condemned by the law anymore. You are under grace. And because of that, you delight in the law of God. This rest which Christ gives his people, there is no greater, no more blessed rest than this. It's by resting in the finished work of Christ that we enter into eternal life. And this is the only source of true comfort and relief for the soul of man, to rest in Jesus' cry of it is finished. Perhaps an illustration will be helpful. This is an illustration I heard from a man of God who heard it from another man of God. So this is third hand, I guess, a hand-me-down. A sheep does sheep things, like bleeding, going back. But a sheep doesn't bleat to become a sheep. It bleats because it is a sheep, and that's what sheep do. It's inevitable. It's its nature to be a sheep and to do sheep stuff. But it doesn't do sheep stuff. It doesn't bleat to become a sheep. Similarly, 
Christians don't perform good works to become Christians. They perform good works because they are Christians. They perform good works because that's what Christians do. Like a sheep bleeding, like a sheep doing sheep stuff. It's inevitable. It's our nature to delight in the law of God and to obey the law of God. We know not perfectly in this life, but to grow in an obedience to the law of Christ and our sanctification in this life. This is the life, the outworking, the fruit of all of those who are resting and looking to Christ and the relief and the comfort that balm of his blood when it has been applied to the heart of the believing son or daughter of God. But that rest that we enjoy in Christ, as we live and sojourn in this age, now we know it doesn't end when we die. It extends on into eternity, and it has glorious, cosmic implications. The curse which Lamech laments in this morning's passage, will be forever expelled, done away with, never to return when Jesus returns. The glorification of our bodies at the resurrection, at the close of the age, includes the transformation and the renewal of all creation. Turn with me to Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 8. Beginning in verse 18, the inspired apostle says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The curse which was brought in by the first Adam is expelled by the last Adam. All Satan's work is undone by Christ. True relief and comfort are brought in eternally, and the serpent's head is indeed crushed. That is the promise which Lamech believed. That is the promise that he is expressing faith and hope in this morning. He didn't have all the facets, all the depth of revelation that we possess. He wasn't able at that point in redemptive history to look at every angle of the diamond as we are. We are very privileged in that way. But Lamech did know there was a seed coming. He trusted the gospel promise in Genesis 3.15. And he expressed that faith 
through naming his son Noah, Nuach. He regarded his words of hope and faith as being something, a confession of faith. Turn back now to Genesis chapter 5. We come now to verse 30. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, this is our first introduction to Noah's three sons. Shem is the one who we shall see is going to be the next link in that chain leading to Jesus, according to the flesh. But all three of these men will be used by God for the spread of humanity after the flood. Everything in this passage today is building up to the next section of Genesis, where God brings cataclysmic disaster and wrath upon the world. But once again, it's not divorced from gospel hope. The belief, the comfort, and relief were coming was carried on board the ark. It was moving forward through Seth's family line. And it would continue after the flood to pass on to Abraham and to the other patriarchs. And it would continue to grow and to develop. And it would come down to us such that all of us could repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into eternal rest. Thank the Lord for God preserving Noah and his family. Amen. As I said earlier, God used Noah to bring temporal salvation for man, but ultimately used Noah as a means of bringing Christ into the world for the eternal salvation of his people. Therefore, we recognize that God can and God does, even today, use holy men for his purposes. God uses godly pastors and parents and friends to help us in our lives. Sometimes God even uses unbelievers to bless us in our lives. But the only one who is our true refuge and hope and refuge is Christ himself. And so now, as we prepare to enter a time of prayer and reflection, I would like to ask you, who are you trusting in this morning? If you are a Christian, by definition, you are entrusting your soul to the saving power of Jesus Christ. And if you are not a Christian among us this morning, you must recognize that trusting in him is your only hope from escaping the eternal punishment and condemnation that your sin deserves. If you are not a Christian this morning, if you are not resting in Christ, you are under the curse of the law. The law condemns you, friend. And I pray that you will turn to Christ this very day. But fellow believers, 
Sometimes even we take our eyes off Christ at times, don't we? Sometimes we look at our life circumstances. We look at the world around us, and maybe we're tempted to forget or doubt God's faithfulness, to not bring into our minds the promises of God. I think we can actually learn a lot from our brother Lamech in the passage today. We are a people who walk by faith, not by sight. And as one commentator has said, Lamech saw and he experienced the consequences of sin's curse. He saw what he was living in it all around him. Lamech was a fallen man living in a fallen world. And yet he believed that relief was coming. He believed that God would fulfill his promise to crush Satan's head. We are called to believe God's word no matter what the circumstances are in which we find ourselves. And beloved, as we look around in the world, I mean, what do we see? We see a lot. We see the LGBTQIA plus revolution. We see growing secularism. In recent days, we turn on the news and we see threats of nuclear war. That's all true. But you know what else is true? It is true that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know what else is true? Jesus says, surely I am coming back soon. Do you believe that promise? Perhaps you are going through a dark night of the soul. Maybe right now you are finding yourself engulfed in a cloud of depression, of grief. Perhaps, dear one, you feel like you are drowning in a flood of sorrow. Those seasons do come. Those seasons are difficult. That is true. But beloved, you know what else is true? That you can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know what else is true? That he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Do you believe that promise? Or maybe right now you find yourself in a pitched battle with your sin. Maybe you are grieved that recently it's had victories in the war. Maybe you feel ashamed of it and you are grieved when you consider your remaining corruptions, the way you have sinned against your Father in heaven. That's all true. But you know what else is true? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Believer, it is true that while we fight our remaining sin in this life, that at the same time, God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that promise? 
God is a covenant-keeping God. He never makes promises that he doesn't fulfill. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? As I close, brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you is that no matter what circumstances you face, no matter what state the world is in, God is working. And we can believe that what he has said will come to pass. Our God has decreed the end from the beginning. Think of how much less Lamech knew about God's plan in history than we do. And yet he had hope. He knew that the world would be transformed and that comfort would come. He didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. But he knew that his God made a promise. Church, may we live like our brother, the other Lamech, to be a people who look at the world with eyes of faith, to live with an expectation that all that our covenant God has told us will come to pass. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we once were blind, but now we see. We are able to see Christ for who he is. We are able to love you only because you first loved us. Oh, how we rejoice in that this morning. Father, we rejoiced in the rest that we have in Christ. We look forward to that eternal rest that we will surely enter into when he returns for us, when he claims his bride. May every day of our lives be touched by that hope. May it never be expelled from our memories, from our thoughts, from our reflections. May our conversations be influenced by that hope. The meditations of our hearts be influenced by that hope. Oh, Holy Father, help us as we look at our own lives, as we think about the lives of our families, as we think about the world, to know that you have promised to not leave or forsake us, that you have promised that you will accomplish all your purpose in the earth and that you will be glorified that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess to you, O oh God, sometimes our faith is weak. But, O oh God, we believe, so help our unbelief. Strengthen our weak knees. Draw near to us. We ask this in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen.